Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Jamie Howison. Jamie is a priest of the Anglican Church of Canada and the founding pastor of St. Benedict's Table in Winnipeg. Passionate about cultivating a critical thoughtfulness around issues of faith and theology, he has been called upon to teach and lecture in a variety of contexts and events across the country. I give you Jamie Howison. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. I, I think that you are the first guest from Canada, I think. I think. Wow, well, then I consider myself highly honored. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you, you're polite people, because even when Justin Trudeau recently was expressing some frustration over, well, you know, this strange national security tariff stuff, even in his indignation was 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 very it, it was it was it was a cultured polite indignation sophisticated indignation well I, I can't claim that we could all pull that off but uh i think he did well <laughs> oh yeah he's uh he i'll tell you uh, as world leaders go he looks pretty great right now <laughs> so you are uh you you're the pastor of a congregation you started in, there in winnipeg there in winnipeg yep st benedict's table which is a uh, it is a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, um, but we're, we're it's it's sort of a non geographically defined parish in a sense. Um, lots of artists and musicians and students. We worship in the evening. That really helps for artists and musicians and students. You know, you're not getting morning people. Morning people. No. Oh, and, and and in fact, we have lots of people who, for years and years and years and years and years, have gone to morning church. And now they kind of discovered this, and they're, oh, I'd never go back. Sunday is a Sabbath day for the first time in my life. They get to sleep and in. And in worship. That's fantastic. It's great. So our first reading comes from 2 Samuel 1, one, and then 17 through 27. Here we've got the death of Saul. Uh, you know, we got to transition into the, the second you know, book of Samuel. And we've got this strange, uh, kind of an interesting... The, the song of the bow, right? Uh, he, he gets the, you know, he, we have David, uh, intones this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan. It's an interesting kind of, and it's pretty, it's interesting, right? Cause it's a, it's a very, uh, he kind of extols their memory. You now, Jonathan, because they were friends, that's more understandable, but he really is fairly gracious to the memory of Saul here, which, so, I mean, this is, I mean, in, in, in American, the American political context, I mean, seeing someone be even just decent to a political rival, I mean, that's hard to imagine. But here, to go out of his way to sort of, uh, it's almost like the old Reformation sort of word imputation. I mean, he almost imputes a better rep to Saul than he had, because uh, Saul was kind of a, a less than a faithful figure towards the, you know, later parts of his life there. Life there. And clearly an adversary for David. You know, I, David's been hunted down and and tracked in the desert places sort of thing this is this is the person who's become his enemy from whom he has to flee and there is this remarkable sort of turn where the lament seems as 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 powerful 
for for Saul as it is for Jonathan. I mean, there's a there's a there's a warmth I think in his in his lament for Jonathan that's that's deeper. But there is he does kind of call command a kind of a respectful remembering for King Saul. Um, I th- I mean I part of part of my thought on that is that. As that Davidic story flows, uh, David is still just beloved by the tradition as an ideal hero. I mean, they can't resist him. And, and even when he's had to take up this life as a sort of a, an outlaw and a brigand to survive by his wits and become a mercenary soldier, the text is incredibly forgiving because they know he's only doing what he has to do. Um, we learn about of his fall <laughs> a little longer, further into the narrative, of course, when that what Brueggemann calls the painful truth of the man is told. But at this earlier stage, it's it's the trustful truth of the tribe, um, and so I think part of what's going on here is that that we're really seeing that uh, that heroic and entirely trustful face of David who, knowing what a mess Saul had become, uh, being so aware of the, the sort of the chases through the wilderness and so on, he can still in the end say, now put that aside and remember he was our king. He was the one that, that, that the Lord God raised up. He was anointed. And we have to remember, we can't, we can't forget the loss in a sense. And there is there is a loveliness and a power in in being able to do that at that stage. Yeah, and I wonder. You know, it's interesting. Later in Second Samuel, I have this great story of Mephibosheth, uh, son of Saul, a uh, son of Jonathan, and, and David begins that chapter saying, "Is there anyone left of the house of Saul I can show kindness?" Chesed to for the sake of Jonathan's memory. And I wonder if there, there's kind of an imputation there, like Mephibosheth comes to the king's table not because of his faithfulness. Uh, or anything he did, but because of Jonathan's faithfulness. And I wonder if there's a sort of reverse imputation that you talk about the pa- like the, the fidelity of Jonathan is almost reckoned to Saul's memory. Yeah, yeah, I, I think in a sense, and probably, and if you tie in that third generation, that I think that makes it all the more poignant, um, because because those kind of family and blood ties. We're, we're just way more powerful than we can, we can kind of fathom from our <laughs> much more individualistic way of seeing ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's also interesting to me to think when you're preaching, like from these texts, like in some ways, right? It seems like the the advance of the blessing, the the, the promise to Abraham, you know, that I'll make you many people. You know, I'm going to take, give you a family, then a clan, then a land, and you'll be a people, and you'll be, you know, up to like. David and Solomon, that that promise is fulfilled not just by faith, but by sight. But then after the breakup of the kingdom, it can only be pursued by faith, right? The, 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 the promises are still made and even expanded as the kingdom declines, right? Like, as, as the, 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 the promises still hold true, even though by sight they seem over. Uh, but here we're, we're still ascending to, to the, the visual fulfillment of the promises. Well, yeah, I mean, the tribes are still really being drawn together because it was pretty loose under Saul. 
compared to what it, what it goes on to become under David's solidification of things. So it really still is kind of being negotiated. But, and, and I think that, that in the, in the telling of the story, there's just this clear sense that if anyone could actually do it, it's David. And, and this, this huge kind of love for him. And, and it's there all the way through, right? In the, in the great story of, um, of him as the, the shepherd who says, I'll go out and fight Goliath. Um, uh, there's a sort of, there's this utter delight in his willingness to go unencumbered without Saul's armor. And then even, even at his anointing story, after brother, after brother, after brother comes, gets trotted out. No, 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 no. Who's left? The boy. And the boy comes out and the, and the, the, the sentence is, um, and he was ruddy and beautiful. And there's this, this, you can just, like the audience kind of just goes, ah, David. He's the only one who could possibly pull together the disparate tribes kind of thing. And so I think that's still very much being celebrated in, at this point in the narrative when, when he can with, with such honor and beauty, um, lament the man who'd been his adversary. Yeah, and it's interesting too, as you think about like as David, sort of the high point of the monarchy in some ways, and 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 up to this point again, the expanding of the promises, and yet there is, as you said, the truth of the man, and in the and in the low points, you know, in the exile, there's also the truth of the promises. So Israel, like us all, as Simon used to set Picado, or like in the high in the high points and the low points, right? There's there's the sin and, and the saintliness, you know. There's all those things are present in all of the story. Let's go on to 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 15, the only stewardship text that should ever be preached, be right? Preached, this, is, right? <laughs> this is the, this is, I, you know, there's that old story of these two guys that are on a desert island and, uh, you know, they've been there for, for, it's an, their, their ship crashes in August on this desert island. And the one guy's so anxious, they're never going to find us. And the other guy says, oh, I'm not worried. Oh, why? Well, I'm a Presbyterian and it's September stewardship season. They'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so often when we think about money, the, the it's often is preached like a law, preached like this sort of legalistic, like, hey, do your part. And here Paul says, you know, I'm asking for your generosity, not as a command, but he says, you know, look at Jesus, the one who is rich but became poor for your sake. You know, that you he became, you know, he traded places with you. He, he went down so that you could be lifted up. So... If you know that, then the sharing of your resources becomes a natural response of gratitude for the grace. And if you don't, it's very interesting. I say this to you not as a command. Um, You know, it's not imperative and indicative. It's indicative imperative, right? This is just who you are (laughs) um, if you're in Christ. Yep. Yeah. And and there's the the material that comes before it where he kind of sets out that like this, this is actually part of a campaign. And it's not the first one. And there's some other, there's some other, uh, uh, examples of, of how, what the phrase earlier in, in, uh, chapter eight is, uh, 
We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I think that's an extraordinary juxtaposition of their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowing. And if that's kind of in the background as well, you go, oh, yeah, this capital campaigns that are just talking about the need of the building are madness. You know? Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, it, it seems like everybody should think more about religious affections when they're doing, you know, like these, these, it seems like Paul's, uh, campaign strategy here is is think about Jesus think about what he did for you and think about what he's doing for you in the agony and the ecstasy and things this thing will naturally flow out it's you don't you're not going to have to pull yourself up by your religious and moral bootstraps and and really you know scrape your pockets that this is this will be a natural outpouring right yeah and i and i think also implicit in that is um is is a sense that um and in the shape of the economy of this 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 kingdom people when when you're in a position with with some abundance of course you share because the you know the god who is is abundance emptied himself and shared into our lives and when you're in a position where you're as flat as jerusalem is right now because you're part of this kingdom economy you you need to trust that that those around you who who have abundance will share. Like there is a kind of a, a implicit in it. I think there there there, there is there is a, a sort of a, an a early church ethos of to those who had needs it was given to those who had abundance they gave. You know that 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 act stuff. Um, I, I think he's echoing that like crazy. Yeah, and it strikes me that to live a story of self justification or self-condemnation really only takes yourself, right? But to live forgiven requires submitting your story horizontally and vertically to others. And then, and you put your destiny, you know, you intertwine it with theirs. And so it's different than life of self-condemnation or just, or self-justification. The life of forgiveness, being a forgiven sinner seems to imply an interdependence with other forgiven sinners. Sinners. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I have a friend, a guy who's who is uh, comes to to St. Bans, and at the beginning of the month, he puts a I think it's a five dollar bill, a, ten, a twenty dollar bill, and a fifty into his wallet on the first of the month, and then over the course of the month, every time he opens the wallet, he sees it, and he constantly looks for opportunities to give it away. And for him, it's 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 a it's a it's a sort of a a, a very physical yet disciplined way of, of remembering that he's that, that that's not his. It's actually there so that it can be given and shared because he's modeling himself on the on the the model of the king who has scars in his hands kind of thing. Uh, I think it's a just great sacramental discipline. Speaking of the king who has stars, scars on his on his hands, let's go to the gospel reading here. Mark five twenty one through forty three. Now this is a really interesting story because we've got you know this a leader of the synagogue, Jairus, 
who falls at Jesus' feet and begs him, you know, my daughter is near the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he goes with him. And then there, there's this large crowd. They're pressing in on him. I'm sure this is like, you know, traffic on the highway, the equivalent of, you know, things are being slowed down. I'm sure Jairus is anxious. Like, well, hey, look, she's, she doesn't have a lot she's of time here. Yeah. Yeah. And then this woman who has a chronic condition, uh, a bleeding condition, which would make her unclean. She kind of, she reaches out, touches his garment and he stops to have an encounter with this woman. Like, you know, this power left me. Who did, you know, where did, where did it, where did it go out from? Uh, and the, of course the, you know, the, the, this is the nightmare situation. If you're the father of this child, that well, while Jesus is taking his time, seemingly his daughter dies, which is then the occasion for um, not just a healing, but for her to be brought back from the dead. Uh, so, I wanted, yeah, another one of these stories of the odd timing of Jesus. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, I mean, I there's there's I think there's really interesting uh, details in the way that the two stories are sort of well, they're. The one is sandwiched in the middle of the other, right? Um, There's actually a whole article written by James Edwards, New Testament scholar. I think it was at Whitworth called "The Mark and Sandwiches," <laughs> like because like, he does Mark does this all the time, right? He does he puts a story in the middle of a story. Yep. And anybody who thinks he wasn't a very sophisticated writer is wrong because I think he's very sophisticated. Um, you know what's interesting? I think the more I think because of cinematography now. Uh, I think we can appreciate his literary brilliance more because it's a cinematic kind of brilliance. Like the, it, the, the, the gospel is cinematic. It goes from scene to scene to scene in these really interesting and intense ways. And I think that because we have that imagination now through certain developments in entertainment, you read Mark and you're like, gosh, this could be a great screenplay right now. Because <laughs> this gospel Somebody should make a movie out of this. Yeah, it, it, it moves. But, so, but a couple of things really caught me. As I was thinking about this, one is it's 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 a, a leader of the synagogue who comes. So there's there's two possibilities there. One is we sort of often work with this assumption that says those who are in positions of leadership were all opposed to Jesus, huh? Maybe not. And or this guy must have really had to swallow deep before he went out and sought out this guy, because if this, if, if Jesus is controversial and by and large opposed by those in authority, he's swallowing his pride and going for, to ask for help, which I think is, that's not unimportant. The, and then as they're, they're moving along, as you say, in the traffic jam and the woman comes through and touches the hem of his garment, the, she's suffering with a hemorrhage or, uh, I, mean, I think in, Sometimes it's translated as a flow of blood, which, uh, which is, yeah, absolutely about ritual impurity. Um, and when she touches, it's almost as if the, this healing flows from Jesus to meet and staunch the flow of blood, which is just kind of an evocative way to think about it. But he, she touched him. And she's bleeding. And if she's impure, there would be those who would say he's impure. And maybe the leader of the synagogue, Jairus, goes, oh, ha, huh, now, now he's useless to me. It's interesting, too, right? In every other instance in the Bible, I can think of when something clean and unclean come into contact, the unclean makes the clean unclean. But Jesus 
is the one instance where the clean makes the unclean clean. Like he he reverses. It's the it's a, it's almost like the substitutionary kind of image in a in a, in a, in a liturgical way, a like great exchange yeah. kind of thing. But again, Jairus would have to kind of swallow deep on that one because if he's completely conditioned by uh, by a, a, an older understanding of things, he has to kind of accept the fact that maybe maybe this guy has been made unclean or maybe he's reversed the floor. Whatever has happened here, but I just have to keep moving with him towards my daughter. Yeah, and he has to wait. He, a guy who's in a relative position of privilege to her, right? Like, he's a male, she's a female. He's a leader of the synagogue. She's ritually excluded. He's got to wait for her. Wait for her. Yeah. yeah. You know, the least, the last, the lost tend to take, take the strange, curious priority in these stories of Jesus. Jesus. Yep. Yes. <laughs> pure cape on, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe, maybe pure gospel. Um and, and and I think the other the other thing that's always struck me is he feels the the sort of the healing spirit flow from him. He's aware that something has kind of gone forth from him, which also explains why there's all those all those episodes where you where he's he's tired and he's got to get away and go somewhere alone, like. It's not as if he's just walking around with a with a, 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 a you know a bottomless battery. He actually needs to eat and sleep and rest and pray and be and feast and do all those things in order to be able to bring who he is to the crowds. That's I mean, in the midst of a miracle story, isn't that a remarkably human little bit of detail? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's, and it's like Jesus did these miraculous things the way anyone would have to do in the spirit, right? It's not, it, it, like he's as human as we are. And so it, he, he has to live by the spirit the way we have to live by the spirit. It's interesting too that like, I don't know how superstitious she is, but it seems like she's in fear and trembling, a text says, and she touches him and wants to abscond away. I mean, obviously she's ritually impure. Maybe she's worried, maybe she, but, but also he doesn't let her dwell in the place of superstition. He, he 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 makes her come forth because he wants to say, though, no, your faith made you. This really, you've exercised faith. Like, despite the fact that you might be in a position of un, uh, ritual uncleanliness, you might be a religious outsider. This is faith that's made you well, not superstition, not my cloak. Like, y- you're, you've you've exercised faith, uh, and 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 that that, that here's you know, it, like you know, Paul says in Second Corinthians, you know, anywhere someone's in Christ, there is new creation. Here's the new creation right here. It's it's being, you know, there's there's a witness to it here. Witness to it here. Yeah. Yeah. And she's already well at the point that he draws her back and has that little exchange. So it's not as if she has to kind of trot out the four spiritual laws. She has actually already acted in that faith. Right, and the faith makes sense. Right, it's like you could look at this one way. You could look at your circumstances through superstition or odd luck. or the, But no, let me, let me let faith, the lens of faith, interpret what happened by grace to you. Grace to you. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, he goes on, and the... You know, the, you get, um, some of the most insensitive friends, right? Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further, right? <laughs> um, but you know, Jesus says, don't fear, only believe. You know, the number one command imperative in the scriptures, right? Be not afraid. Don't fear, only believe. And he brings Peter, James, and John in, and, uh, she is resuscitated. Resuscitated. Yep. Yep. And, uh, uh, 
again, there's so there's so many interesting little things. I've been been ordained thirty years. I've been preaching on this stuff a long time, and it's remarkable how often I'll I'll read something and kind of go, "Oh, I'd never seen that before." And I think that there's a couple things caught me. One is uh, after she is raised. Um, it, it sort of says, and she was 12 years old. Huh. And how long had that woman been suffering with right, the 12 years, 12. right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And so you see the kind of the, the restored life of this woman who'd suffered much under many physicians. Because the doctors in the congregation just have to sort of shudder uh, for twelve years, and and then she is she is restored as a obviously an adult woman, and then this girl who the age of twelve, so she's just coming into into puberty, she's coming into a point where she's moved up, moving out of childhood into adulthood and towards the possibility of herself being a mother and all this, dad, and then. Uh, then raised, restored. And it's kind of, I just, I love how those two women are in a sense um, almost mirror one another at different stages of their lives after the 12 years. I remember seeing this McDonald's commercial years ago where it was like this teenager with his first job next to this like retired person. They're both like, oh, we're, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at this. It's the cradle to the grave, minimum wage job, minimum wage <laughs> job. <laughs> but here you do have this kind of cradle to the grave redemption. Yeah, you have this sense that the new humanity that God brings in Christ, it, it affects the whole human condition in all human stages and peculiar stages of timing. Timing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the other thing that, that sort of caught me a little bit this time was he strictly ordered them that no one should uh, should know this, and which that sort of recurring, particularly strong in Mark, of course, is that no, don't don't talk about this, hold back, throttle back, uh, which I've I've always seen as 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 Jesus trying to kind of control the flow of the the growth of the movement so it doesn't get out of hand too quickly um you know just chill a little bit we're we're gonna build this more slowly but that's then twinned with and he told them to give her something to eat and again that's one of those kind of remarkably human moments there's the human jesus who knows that when he's exhausted he needs to sleep and he needs to eat and he's 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 raised her up and she's walking around and he but he knows you know what? She really needs something to eat. And it's interesting. Capon says, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 is like the last place where Jesus still looks like a traditional Messiah because the king feeds the people. Yeah. So, so you have that line in Return of the King somewhere, right? Where they say, they look at Aragon and he, which book is it? Where he like, he knows how to do some, like make some plants and do some healing. And then they, they had this, somebody says, remembers this prophecy, the hands of the king are, are healing hands. Healing hands. Mm. Okay, I where I don't remember what is that in Return of the King? I don't remember. I forget where it is, but but anyway, you have this beautiful. I mean, yeah, you have the, the like a, a kingly humanness or humane kingship that we see as 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 the Lord Jesus. Yep, Jimmy, thank you for doing this with me for talking, having this brief conversation. I'm sure your congregation will be blessed uh, by your own preaching, and I hope our listeners will find our conversation to be a blessing for their own encouragement and preparation. Preparation. All right.
It was good to do. And we'll have you back. Thank back. You. I'd love to come back. That was fun. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Jamie for coming on the podcast. And thanks to you again for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.